and welcome to the Mixed Opinions Podcast. My name is Marcus, also known as Oddball, and today I've got with me John. John, you said you had a story about uh, Halloween. I did. Want to go ahead and fill us in on that? Yeah, so on Saturday, we did our Halloween show, and it was an 80s pop cover band from the local area that I live, and they had a big costume party, and surprisingly more people showed up than I thought. I thought it was going to be a terrible night, but it ended up being great. What about you? What did you have going on this week? You know what? You might know this story, John. Okay. You know, I've been doing this concert series where they have me set up in monitors with a Midas Pro 2. And you know how much of a fan I am of the Midas Pro 2. Oh, I know. <laughs> so as I'm going to set up the stage for, this is this is the end of the concert series, so all the bands that were competing up until this point now get to open for the big headliner, which is also recorded for all of the world. And John had suggested the night before that I should start using the user assignable encoders mm -hmm. below the screen. And I never was not a fan of that. It, it was not fitting to what I did. And it was then that I went in that day to try and test that function out. And as soon as I did, all the encoders started going buck wild. Yeah, what, what happened with those? So I was getting my gains and my trims, well, depending on what swap I'm at, to just yep. randomly switch back and forth. Sometimes slightly and then snap. Uh oh. Well, it's, it's just beautiful, which is not great if you're doing monitors, if you're not aware. It is not. <laughs> so my next option, you know, I mean, other than restarting the board numerous times and different power cycles and all that, I tried opening up the board to discover that you cannot remove the ribbon card that connects the user assignable buttons at all. Mm. Or maybe if you get deeper into the actual disassembly of it, I just had it open with the fader banks open and you can't just disconnect that because if you disconnect the board that the user assignable pots are or user, <laughs> user assignable encoders are it takes all the controls on your board except for your trackball and the two mouse buttons for that but that's all you need <laughs> and to close it back up and I, I i asked the shop to send out an m32 but we're you know sound check has started and I don't have time. So, <laughs> so I had to roll with the Pro 2. And essentially what I had to do is sound check as best I could on pages that did not have assignable encoders there. Yeah, sure. So I got that and I got it sound checked and sounding okay and stored everything. But what I didn't realize is that doing those user assignable buttons also started making the channel strip controls on the side start going nuts too. Interesting. So the first band goes, right, right, anyhow. So I get them all assigned, and I do everything, and I just save everything, and I swap back. And this is before I realize that that's happening. And it wasn't until the first band goes on, who had already sound checked, and I had to recall the scene. Don't ask about the order of the show. It's not fun to listen to. But I get them up there, and I'm just leaving it on the diagnostics page, right? Because there's nothing yep. you can control with the user assignables there. Yep. And I can still adjust by you know, selecting the channels. What I didn't know is that it was enabling the compressor on those channels and slamming the threshold down. Nice. So I go ahead and plug in my buds, and I'm like, whoa, these kids are compressed deaf. Fuck. <laughs> I have no control. What did I do this? This is monitors. I'm not compressing shit. Ah. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, I, I decided then that my option is to just load the scenes and lock it. Yeah. And then if someone needs something adjusted. Sorry. 
I make a plan in my head already, unlock it, make the adjustments, and then lock it again as fast as possible. And just keep hitting the now button for the whole show? <laughs> yeah. But it, I also had it planned that I was going to be adjusting the gains, too, on the Axiant, which honestly probably wouldn't have been a bad idea. It might have been a bit safer. But I also had to do offset on those last minute, too, because I wasn't mm -hmm. able, because everything was going wacky. I didn't realize that, yeah. Even with even with 10 dB down, still clipping. Not as bad <laughs> had I not adjusted that, but man, shouting into those Axion. Incredible. And why is that still not something that you can set from the receiver? Yeah, it seems like that would be... Uh... I mean, it's 10,000 bucks a unit. You'd think it would be able to... I don't know. What, so you had to just set it through wireless workbench? No, I, you have to set it on the on the Oh, on the handheld. transmitter. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's like every every other Sure product has gain on the receiver. No, you have gain on the receiver. What you don't have is the offset on the handle. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to, you have to you're essentially padding it on, on the handheld, and then you're gaining it back up on the receiver. Mm-hmm. But ten thousand dollars, twenty five hundred dollars a channel. You would think you would think that would be part of it, right? Just saying. I also had an interesting experience with the Pro Series. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what's this now? So for my Saturday Halloween show, soundcheck the headliner. It's great. Everything's working fine. Then I patch the opener and go to save a new scene and suddenly whenever i select some of my vcas they just don't populate with faders and i did you know how you hold down the screen to select the vca and then you can select channels to add to it mm -hmm. so i would do that like for example my base vca and then i pay i held it down page over to my base fader and it shows that it's assigned and i unassign <laughs> it i reassign it doesn't show up <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't. That was not like a terrible thing that could have happened. I could have still mixed the show and just not touched the VCAs at all. But I didn't really want to do that. So I restarted the console, and everything was fine. I don't know why that happened. I don't yeah. know what happened, but no, it was I think fine. it's 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 just the 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 spirit of Halloween is haunting all the pro series for us. Yeah, we did get spooked, and yeah. like like I told you last week. The Pro Series desks are notorious for needing their encoders to be cleaned. On both of my consoles, we do have some encoders that are like that, and I need to open them up. But some of them are in like the channel strip, which is not the easiest part to get to. So we'll see. Yeah, well, that's the thing about the Pro 2 that I had as well, is they had mentioned that they'd had it into repair places once or twice for that issue too. And each time they said, mm -hmm. not a problem. Won't happen again. Nice. Everyone's full of lies. Sometimes they just decide to do it. Yeah. It's only a $30,000 board. Hey, it could be worse. <laughs> My $2,500 board doesn't do that. Anywho, so this week we're doing a uh, assessment of a new album. And we're only going to do a couple of songs just to pick and see what we like off of them. And this week was John. And John... What did you select? So, recently on, I think, Friday? Yeah, Friday, the new Ed Sheeran album released in its entirety. 
So we are going to be talking about one of the lead singles, Bad Habits, which I'm sure most of you have heard, and one of the not singles called Collide, which some of you may not have heard. Hmm. So Mr. Marcus, what did you think about Bad Habits? So Bad Habits, I had actually been hearing, I assume, all through the week because this concert series I've been doing. It's been out for a while. Yeah, it, the concert series I've been doing, though, is in a mall. And it never stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is the entire time with that whole mall playlist is it's just all mall rock. Sure. Or mall pop, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. I think mall rock yeah. falls under like the, I think the headline for that is like the hot topic kind of music. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or mall metal. There's different layers of mall music, <laughs> mall pop. Yeah, though. I do. I do think it's mostly pop these days. It never sticks out to me. Okay, you know, it's just the music that gets pushed to whatever playlist, and it fits right into all the mall music. Sure, it does have a very top forty sound. Yeah, but as far as the production goes, it does very much sound like it's well produced. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I mean, it's definitely nothing exciting. Sounds like basic loops made in Ableton. Uh huh. And just done over and over again. Uh, I don't know. There isn't, I don't know. For me, there isn't much to go on. I mean, yeah. what is it, Serban? Is it, who? Serban Gagne? Uh, let me look. Bad habits. Feels like Serban Gagne? It was produced by Ed Sheeran, Fred Gibson, also known as Fred again, and Johnny McDade from Snow Patrol. Who mixed it? Uh, Mark Stent, one of my favorite engineers. He, he's done a lot of work with like Muse. Like he did the whole um, The Resistance album. So, like what I was going to say is going to be angry to you, but it sounds like it sounds like an attempt at doing a Serban mix Hmm. and it just kind of ends up flat and unexciting. One of the things that I did notice is that, yeah, it's a super flat mix. But I guess with the material, there isn't far you can go with it because it's kind of ultra repetitive. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it sounds like something I could have made in like hip hop EJ. If you guys remember that or dance EJ, it's a really interesting start to your music career. But yeah, you just stack the pre anyhow. (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty much like the, the early, simpler form of Ableton. The the first thing that I wrote down is the bass on it. I think it translates really well. Like I was listening in my car. I've listened on Bluetooth headphones. I listened on my monitors. And every time, no matter how much actual low frequency information a system is capable of making, it still sounds punchy. So I, I did think that was pretty impressive. It does sound a bit side-chained. That, that's something that I've been trying to work on in my mixes. I don't know. It still feels like there's a subharmonic synth going on to fill out the low end. Oh, there is? Because that song came on one of the playlists I was using this past week, and it shook the whole venue. Yeah, it definitely sounds like... I'm listening to it now. Maybe it's just my headphones, but it doesn't really sound like it's side-chained to the master bus, mm. <laughs> which is that really super secret trick. All you EDM guys... It's the only way you make a song, and it's super high-level, advanced mixing technique. Nobody knows of it. Uh. <laughs> the other main note that I had was just the mix was ultra clean. Like, there, there's not much saturation. It sounds very much like a radio hit 
mix from 2021. Yeah, no, it's definitely clean. There's a couple frequencies that kind of overlap with the mm-hmm. the loop, as I'm going to refer to it, and the vocals. I would have done a mid-side EQ and kind of spaced that out a bit. Mm, interesting. Um, but may, that may not have worked. That may have been something he attempted and found it was too wide and kind of weird on, you know, it's all things. You can't, it's so many things you can't tell unless you're sitting down with the actual tracks. Exactly. And like if he ended up trying it and finding that it was too wide, he might not have wanted that for something that was going to be a lead single and played on every system imaginable. Yeah. And that's also the big trade off is you got to make sure you make sure it can, you know, mall music. There's no stereo. Right. It's all your Crestron biamp speakers. They're all mono or they're summing. So what about the second song that I selected called Collide? Collide. I felt like the mix was very similar to Bad Habits, but without all the sub bass, pretty much. The one thing that really did stand out to me was in the chorus, whoever recorded and tuned and mixed gang and backing vocals, it sounds amazing. But yeah, that was the main production element that stood out to me. Not because it was something super creative, but just because it sounded really good. I'll tell you what, this this Collide song sounds like it's perfectly designed for your soft rock yep, channel. Yep, sure does. You know, the the same channel that's going to play. <laughs> I yeah. had the time of my life. It's that hopefully we don't get you know copyright struck because of my perfect singing right there. If that's close enough to the original, I'll send you $5. <laughs> I'm making big bucks. I'm getting the big half of the penny. You know, I'm not listening to the lyrics. There might be some important stuff there, but I yeah. typically don't listen to lyrics all that often. And I think you get a test of this as you work as a sound engineer long enough. You do listen to the lyrics for a lot of stuff, but after a while, it, you start to get beaten down by some of the stuff you have to work for. And then you're like, you know, if I don't listen, I'm not at fault. That is true. It's not my fault anymore. <laughs> you know? Like, what was that? Oh, the one thing at the at the gathering last year that was, that guy singing that song, and it, and it really just stuck out to me. It was the, because the name of the song itself was, If I Can't Love You, Nobody Can. Oh. And the lyrics were like, if you date someone else, I'm just going to kill you. Nice. Yeah. Like, he was, like, telling his whole story, and it was, like, his girlfriend, like, <laughs> thought he was, like, a loser. <laughs> And they had a kid together, and he left her, and she left him. And then she wanted to, like, date other guys, and he he was finding out about it and, like, nice. threatening to kill her, apparently. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? I don't want to be part of this. And that's, I guess that's one of those obstacles in the career of, like, oh, great. Oh, boy. For those who don't know, would you care to explain what The Gathering is? Oh, The Gathering of the Juggalos. It's a, that's yearly, typically, except for COVID. Well, you know what, whatever. Anyhow, it's quite large and pretty well known. I think a lot of people may know of it. I feel like I can only divulge gathering stories once per episode because I don't want to waste them all at once. But there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens for sure. But one thing I will say, blanket statement, is if you've never been to a gathering in your life, Mm. go to one. You think it's just a one-time experience? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you haven't been to the gathering, you should go. 
So you're saying everybody should go, but they might not like it enough to go back. Well, that's the thing is I don't think you're not going to walk away from the gathering disappointed. You're not going to walk away the same person either. No, you definitely won't. But you will have a lifetime of stories to tell, whether they're good or bad. And you're going to be a more interesting... (laughs) I'm not kidding you. I was not a fan of ICP or Juggalos in general. I And my boss was like, oh, we're doing the gathering. And I was like, can "Mm, I quit? You know what? I I don't think I'm going to do that. The first time we did the gathering and I was... I literally was like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not doing it. I just don't want to be there. And I'll say this much. By the time I left, I was severely depressed that it was ending. Oh. It's such an interesting time. And anytime you meet anybody on, on, the, on, the, on the road, I feel like if they've been to the gathering, 35% of the cool stories they tell about a gig, they're going to mention the gathering. It's, it's one of those life experiences you have to go through. Interesting. Well. If you need people, let me know next time. I might be available. I quit that job, remember? Oh, yeah. So I guess I'm not going. <laughs> 65 bucks a day. It's actually not bad for a festival. It's not bad, but people still complain about it. The thing is, is when they see 300 bucks a ticket, they're like, whoa, what the fuck? It's three days, so 65 bucks a day, yeah. and you get to see some weird shit happen. So this brings us to another point that's really not related. But, John, what are your favorite albums that were not well-produced or well-mixed? Well, I have one that comes to mind every time I'm asked that. It's not that it was poorly produced or poorly written or poorly mixed even, but Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers sounds like garbage because they tried to make it as loud as possible and every song is distorted. Oh, just because of the the clipping? Yeah, they... That was like peak loudness war, and it was the true victim of the loudness war. I don't know. It's kind of weak, low-hanging fruit. What's your other one? Hmm. Let me look at my list. What do you got? I got the—I think it was the original mix of one of the Rage Against the Machine albums. I think it was— Oh, the first one? (laughs) Yeah, the first one. It's great, but they had all the drums panned to the right. Yeah. And I still think that's one of the cooler mixes. I don't know why the fuck they did it, but— you know, it's it's it worked for whatever reason. I mean, obviously, I got Rage Against the Machine in my in my stick for sound checking, but it's it's not that version, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> none of those songs made it there. The twentieth anniversary remaster of that album is killer, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and it's they fixed great. All that, but it's fi- fixed is a weird term. <laughs> it had a uniqueness. Yeah, sure. I'm not kidding. I'm all into weird production stuff. It's you know, it can be fun. I mean, there's a lot of things like that. Like, I'm a big Ramones fan, and if you ever listen mm-hmm. to any of the earlier albums, it's just complete shit. Some really bad production, but it fits the style perfectly. And although the later stuff, while better produced and more marketable to everyone, because I guess that's what Rolling Stone wanted to do, uh, sounds good. It's still that early stuff. And that kind of reminds me of, like, when you listen, like get into death metal and stuff like that, and you listen to, like, Calma or Winter Sun, and those kind of bands, they're, like, really slammed to shit, and some of the production just really makes no sense yeah. in a lot of ways. But it works as, like, this constant moving creature, you know, and one big <laughs> melodic device. <laughs> yeah, sure. Even though it's not the kind of mix you'd want to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, I admit, this sounds great. 
It's not. It's kind of just more of a monster into itself. And what I find interesting is if you know Winter's Son or Inciferum, and th- as they go on to their later recordings, Winter's Son put a lot of time and emotion to everybody into time albums, the later albums, and they sounded terrible and not good because they focused on, I don't know, ambiance. I don't I couldn't get into them. But Inciferum, their later albums sounded really good because they actually went a more natural way. And it became really like an expansion onto the style instead of it's all how you, it's 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 bipolar. If you want to go with a more natural recording, it can work out for you. It can kick you in the ass as well. And so that brings us to the the obvious most natural next topic of <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite plugins, John? So what are we talking? Like two plugins that I use on every mix? Doesn't even have to be that you use on every mix. Just two plugins that that I really love. That you really love? Well, one that I do genuinely use on every mix is SSL Native Channel Strip, just because that's my preferred workflow, and it sounds great. If you really like that workflow, I, I, I got a mixer I could suggest to you. Oh, is it a uh, an SSL? <laughs> uh, that's... But the other plugin that I've been getting into recently has been uh, TDR Nova from Tokyo Dawn, which is free. There's a free version and a paid version. In the free version, it's a four-band parallel EQ with dynamic settings. And the thing that I think is cool about it is not only can you set dynamics parameters for individual bands, but you can set it for the for like the whole wide band. So you can essentially use it as a compressor that you can design the sidechain for. So if you need the high frequencies to be compressed more, you just high shelf it, turn it down, and then let it compress the high frequencies harder, if that makes sense. Oh, sure. Now, Tokyo Don, yeah. that that guy, that's variety of sound, is it not? Uh, no. Maybe. It might be the same guy, but I know Tokyo Don, it, it's like a indie record label that just happens to make plugins. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, variety of sound, he went and worked for Tokyo Don to make all this stuff. Nice, then yeah. Is he still, see, I don't even follow this, but it seems like he's active on his blog again, talking about his Behringer 2600 and... A lot of synth stuff, which is always sad on on my part to see plugin developers get into get into synthesizers. I don't know. It always feels like wasted, uh, you know. Anyhow, oh, he did everything in sixty four bit. Wow, I have not checked this out in a while. <laughs> but yeah, no, Nova is a great plugin. Yeah, truly. What about you? So, what I use outside of the typical stock Reaper plugins is pretty pretty damn limited. I guess I could go into the ones that I use in Reaper. Like the JSFX plugins, I use a lot of psych plugins, like Satan Verb. Mm-hmm. Um, I forced him to make Never Odd or Even, which is a tube saturation plugin where you can just control all the harmonics, and it's just no bullshit, I just need it done kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of that can fall into the analog obsession stuff, I'm sure. Sure. I don't really follow into that stuff too much. There's one thing, Townsend Labs Sphere 180. So it's this free plugin. I don't know what its intended purpose is for. I think it's a, it's an emulating summing mid-side situation for okay. like a microphone that they sell. Yeah, they do sell a modeling mic. Yeah, but this is the software for it. And okay. one of the things is it's using, I think it's using a mid-side diaphragm, isn't it? Uh, so it's using two I diaphragms. Think so, because it can emulate multiple different polar patterns. Anyhow, what I use it for is my gu- guitar bus. 
so it's either rhythm or lead. Whatever you have stereo pan. This is kind of a big secret to be throwing away, but it kind of solves all of your summing issues. Nice. You got to play around with it a bit to get the sound that you want back. Sure. But once you do and you learn how to use it, you get metal summing correctly with an even amount of guitar. It's a great suggestion to go for that. Nice. Relimit is something I've been playing with. It's in early stages still. And I got to I got to promote I have to say it. I got to promote Reverbate. I don't know what the fuck it is about the goddamn plugin. But uh it's it's the plugin I grab when I'm first doing a mix just to get a reverb sound for whatever. Mm-hmm. And in my brain, I always think to myself, oh, I'm just going to go back and I'm I'm getting this for now so I can get the sound I want because I can do it quick. And then I'll go back and I'll put a plug in on top of it and I'll get the sound that I really want for the final mix. And it seems like nine times out of ten, I never actually end up finding a reverb sound I like with any of the plugins I have that defeats reverbate. And that may be because I've built the mix around reverbate. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. But at the same time, it also just works. Uh, I can set it real fast and get exactly what I need really quickly. That's half your battle right there. It's a reverb. You could get into really in-depth, really complicated reverbs, but when your dynamic range on a final mix is an effective, <laughs> you know, four fucking six dB. Yeah. I mean, that's not worth 90% of my processor, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and for reverbs, uh, I tend to just... Find a preset that sounds good and maybe tweak the decay time. I don't really yeah. go into designing custom reverbs because that's not what I'm good at. Yeah, you know, you could get further into it. You could get R4 is what I typically go to after Reverbate. Okay. And it's great because it's uh, it's made by Isotope kind of. I guess. Oh yeah. But it's a uh, it's made by the Lexicon guy. Yeah to redo all the lexicon stuff and i have my 500 my yamaha 500 to get the yamaha pcm kind of stuff i never even touched that really but there aren't really maybe i'm just missing that looking i i don't look in those areas there might be a yamaha simulation for an sbx 90 or Hmm. 900 or something but that's probably the second thing i'd go for because i'm not looking for i mean i could grab any of the uh impulse responses i want for the super accurate uh spatial uh, recreation and i've made a whole bunch of those too um i could probably upload them at some point but really when it comes to getting a reverb that i want for a mix especially for music yeah i want those weird older reverbs mm-hmm. yeah i tend to find for reverb there are two maybe three plugins i'll reach to usually i'll go to space designer first which is stock in logic it's their convolution reverb mm-hmm. i downloaded all the impulse responses for it and there are some crazy and interesting things the other thing i'll go for is isotope neoverb they used a bunch of those exponential algorithms you were talking about and they basically just made a reverb with an assistant to go alongside of all their other plugins with assistance so you basically feed it signal and then you can go to reverb assistant and you can pick your type your size what like style you want and then it'll It'll give you previews, and then you hit go, and then it'll analyze your incoming signal and the reverb, and it'll it'll do a pre and post EQ for you, which is quite convenient, and it usually gets yeah. it pretty right. I can't imagine how anything could predict my pre and post EQs on reverbs. 
Which, by the way, one just real quick things to cover. If, if you're younger guys getting into mixing and especially studio guys, if you're using reverbs as an insert on a channel, you got to get out of that. You got to break that cycle. You got to start making buses right. and learning how to bus reverbs. Otherwise, you're not only creating issues that you're not recognizing yet, but you're also you're screwing yourself for essentially because you don't want to delay into a reverb and you don't want to reverb into a delay, if that makes sense. Those are two separate things and you want those to be bust separately. And you also want your effect level and your dry level to be different. And that's not the same as controlling a wet and dry knob sure. on a plugin. And you don't have separate control of that. You want to, you know, especially when you get to the automation phase, you don't want to be automating the dry level on your plugin. That's an inserted reverb. Yeah, that's not, it's not great. And I mean, a lot of plugins, they get really advanced with, oh, you could do a pre and a post EQ or what, you know, I've seen some of those, but it's kind of like, bus it. It's going to be a lot easier, especially when you're getting to a point where like, I need more reverb on this, but I don't want to blah, blah, blah. You can put stuff onto your reverb track. So next up, we get one item to pick out of a gig bag. Okay. We get to explain why we want to, why we, why we chose this item that's important to tell everyone about. Gig bag or Pelican, I'm presuming. Gig bag, pelican, backpack. I like it. What's what's on your mind? What would you bring? Bag of holding. This week, I've got white, gold, and silver gel pens. Oh, okay. Because one thing, and it's it's been a lot lately with who I'm working for, is they will always send black gaff because it's a lot, you know, it's always sent for taping down stuff sure. because, you know, presentation and all that. But one thing I always hate is silver Sharpies. They're not pressurized, if you understand my meaning. And yep. it's kind of more of you have to keep them upside down so it falls to the bottom. Or you could whip it and you could use this centrifugal force and, you know, get it out, but then it sprays shit everywhere if you're not careful. Sure. And the back of my van is subject to that issue. But gel pens, they are using a pressurized situation. And while it's not as thick, you can also write on it. And it just looks better because when you're doing wireless mics, when you're doing any kind of mic on stage where you want to label it and you're not using, you know, red, white, blue, yellow, you want it written on there in a way that you can identify it later. Right. Yeah, sure. And it looks good. And it's the only issue that you will deal, deal with is it, it has to dry for a little bit longer than a regular gel pen. Gotcha. Or a regular Sharpie, gotcha. rather. Silver Sharpie. And so you discovered this solution because your company did not send you with any kind of colored tape, so you had to use black, correct? That's Yeah, it's correct. It actually comes from this sign on the door when you pick up whatever vehicle that says, make sure you grab your gaff tape. Nice. And I always walk out and think, wow, that's a really kind thing to think about. And then I never grab gaff tape other than... It's because you think about the sign instead of the tape. Yeah, I think, oh, that's a really cute idea to make that sign. And then I never think about actually grabbing the gaff tape. And I do, you know, I keep gaff of my own, but I keep spike tape. Sure. It's just neon blue spike tape. It's not too neon that it shows up too well, but if I need to remember the placement of something, yeah, it's going to work. What do you have this week, John? Well, a slightly new addition that I've been liking carrying is my cable tester. Ooh. It is a CT100, so it has XLR, quarter inch, phono, probably eighth inch too. And it's got TT. Yeah, it does have TT <laughs> for checking my patch cables. The other nice feature about it I discovered and did not know when I purchased it is that it also has a tone generator, which is great for testing preamps. Testing preamps, testing yeah, speakers, testing whatever. Yeah, well, the main thing that I use it for is 
in line check yeah just making sure i have signal but before line check like in pre-production connect it into all my inputs and then gain up my inputs to a certain level and it'll tell me if my preamps are all the same based on the gain setting that it goes to you know what i mean yeah so bringing up the the, the behringer the ct100 yep it's a great Great cable tester, and I've been through a lot of cable testers in my time, and I've never had a broken CT100. I think one of my friends told me he literally just left it on in his Pelican, and he never changed the batteries, and it always works. And it will. And it's kind of beautiful in that sense. And actually, I'm thinking the Clark Technic is probably into that same field, I'm thinking. Probably. It's pretty much the same tester. Well, isn't not it? the Clark Technic test. No, I'm talking about the Entech tester, and uh, that's going to yeah, get yeah. into some really fucking deep yelling and screaming arguments with people. So you got to be careful who you mention it to. And I'm talking about the Clark Technic, the $35 Phantom Booster. Oh, yeah. It is, it's one of three Behringer products that I own, and they are currently all in my Pelican because they are cheap. And if they break, I can buy another one. Hold up. Wow. Yeah, I can tell. Nature Valley bars. It is lunchtime. Actually, it's past lunchtime. Where's my union-mandated break? You can't eat a Nature Valley bar in front of a mixer. No. Unless you want your faders to Because it just sprays shit everywhere. And then my wife puts them in my backpack as a snack. And I'm really hungry, and I'm like, oh, I need some food. And then I see the Nature Valley, and I'm like, this isn't my board. I can't eat that. Yeah, that's why I always go with Cliff Bars. Cliff bars are great. Chewy bars. Now mm. That's a treat. You just have like a road McRib. Okay. So, CT100. Yeah. Is incredible. Missing an L4 entirely. Yeah, but at that price point, can you blame them? Because I can't. At that size, it's kind of the other factor with that. Yeah, that size. You really can't. You can't beat it. Especially because you can't buy the other ones anymore. And the other thing you didn't mention is it's it's a digital tester. So what you do is you plug in your cable and you reset the, the connections. Mm-hmm. And then you, you shake your cables around like crazy. And it'll detect if you have a short or you have a loose pin. Yeah, that is nice. Or whatever. It'll pop up on there immediately when that happens instead of just having to watch it like you typically do. Hope you didn't miss something because you'll get that cable that's, you know, it'll end up on the vocal mic and you'll be like, what? why is he cutting out? What the hell? And it's, it's a great thing to have. Fuck me, I'm just a fat loser.